This is the Grind, Sell, and Elevate podcast by Tizer Evans, where we do a deep dive on how to stay driven, how to be a top-tier salesperson, and how to elevate the quality of your life. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me this week. This week, I sat down with Rebecca Louisa Smith, a.k.a. the Film Festival Doctor. Rebecca has a great consulting practice where she helps people get into film festivals. She's helped her clients win over 800 awards. Really incredible. She has a great practice where she helps people use business guidance, but also mix with a spiritual practice. So talking about energetic branding. She also just released a brand new book, Born to Do It. And so we talked a lot about how she uses her spiritual practices in her business guidance. We also talked about her new book and what the mission and purpose of that was. So great, well-rounded conversation with Rebecca. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Now, if you guys haven't, please subscribe to the podcast. It's the only way it grows organically is by you sharing with three or four or five friends. That would mean the world to me. And drop me a five-star review. Let me know what you think of the podcast by leaving me a comment. It would mean a lot. Thanks so much and enjoy the conversation with Rebecca. Rebecca Louisa Smith, thanks so much for joining me on Grind, Sell, and Elevate. I'm super excited to talk to you today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, having now just to warm up because it's getting colder here in the UK where I'm at the moment. So I'm looking forward to having a nice um, uh, drink with you uh, with my cup of tea over there. So keeping me warm. <laughs> oh, good. How's, how is the weather there right now? Well, we're in version two of lockdown now so it's very very quiet but it's it's now to the point where the nights are getting uh colder and darker so our, when our clocks changed it's now pretty much almost pitch black <laughs> and it's say uh, in the afternoon time around four o'clock when normally it would be in the summertime not get dark till like 8 p.m 9 p.m okay. so it's quite a shift um but thank goodness we have our warm coats and houses to come back to good Good. Yeah, I've only I've been to England once. I went yeah. to I went to London, and uh, it was during yeah. the there was during May, so the weather was actually really nice when I was there. That's um, a nice time. That's yeah, fun. it was very nice. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. You've just released a new book, Born to Do It, and I will, I know that you've been heavily involved in the film festival and in Wales and the UK and uh, maybe upcoming US soon. Yep. Yep. Um, so I'd love to hear just a bit, and I'm sure everybody else listening would love to hear a bit about your your bio, because I think it's fascinating, kind of going from um, academia into film festival and now kind of doing a bit of consulting and with some spirituality. So why don't you give us a rundown on who you are and what you're about? Yeah. So thank you for having me here. Really lovely to be here and I'm very excited. So it's quite random how this all came together with my book and also my business. So my plan was that I would uh, move from England to an area called Wales, which is part of the UK, a country called Wales. And I would have to settle down there, you know, married and all that kind of like routine kind of thing and live in Wales and teach and academia and have a, and study for my PhD and become a doctor uh, in film studies and philosophy. And that would be my life set. That was the plan. But actually I realized that halfway through when I was doing the PhD, that actually this wasn't what I really wanted. It wasn't my sole purpose or what actually my soul wanted to do. And that was told to me uh, through the time that I began to co-produce a film festival in Wales called the Abattoir Horror Festival. 
So I was doing my PhD and I was enjoying it. I mean, it's hard work sitting down every day having to write and it's quite isolating because it is, you know, like it's a heavy piece of work mm-hmm. for a lot of your life. It's about it's four years of your life or more sometimes. And um, my friend, um, Gaz, who runs the theatre in Aberystwyth and also the film festival, said, oh, I've been asked to produce our film festival by the Film Council in Wales. Do you want to help out? And I was like, well, yeah, it's something to do, you know, to pass the time of having to write all the day and just take some break away from my PC because it drives me up, up the wall. And then I was like, yeah, why not? And then this hobby was actually what I'm supposed to be doing for my whole life is producing film festivals. So when I was doing that film festival thing and producing it and organizing it with guys and being there, I felt alive. I actually felt the real me. I'd actually been hiding in myself for a long time. And I felt, you know, a new lease of life in me. I had to sit down and I thought, what's going on here? I never had this before happen to me. And what I found out later on was that was actually my sole purpose, tuning into my sole purpose. It's what you're supposed to be doing, what you put on earth to do. And then when I spoke to filmmakers, they always told me what they loved about festivals was they loved coming to festivals and having fun and winning awards and seeing their film in the cinema. What they didn't like was there was nobody they could turn to to help them get their films seen in festivals. So I thought, oh my goodness, there's a business here and I can help them with that and solve that problem because I know what festivals want. I've traveled the circuit, again, films at Abattoir. I have, you know, know it, I know people, I know contacts. So I think I can help them here and get this off the ground. So I did. So then I um, finished the PhD and the day I finished it, I put it into the admin office and I got in my car and then I drove to London and moved to my new apartment in London to start my business, get it off the ground. And 10 years later, it's now an established brand in the film industry. We've helped win for our clients over 800 awards, wow. almost 100. And we secured one Oscar nomination for our client and several BAFTA along this and shortlisted um, films as well. So we've got quality movies, quality clients, and I love helping them and I love living my sole purpose. It really has changed me. I can't believe I actually thought I wanted to be in academia all my life and it wasn't, wasn't what I wanted to do. And it hit me when I was at a conference. So I had just about started to start doing the festival and I was in the festival mode and I thought, let me get into a conference mode. So I went into a conference and then one of my friends turned around and I went, isn't academia the best thing in the world? I said, no, it's not for me. Yeah. So then it was more like, no. <laughs> Easy to do while doing the film industry. So that's when things changed dramatically. And everybody really agreed. My lecturer and my supervisor couldn't see it because obviously he wasn't in the film industry. But then now he does after seeing what's happened and how things have changed. Sure. You know, and I've uh, I heard a great quote not that long ago from a webinar I was doing that, but once you get in alignment, your assignment will come. And it kind of sounds like you got in alignment. And then it just kind of hit you like a like a ton of bricks. Oh, it did. It was like a ton of bricks. It was so quick. And I was thinking, what's happening here? I thought, you know, hobbies are like, you know, people enjoy them, but it's like they go back to the day job, don't they, afterwards or something. I was like, God, this is really something else. Um, so it just felt, yeah, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I remember being up all night at the festival. And we just didn't get any sleep. I just loved it. And I thought, I'm so in my element here, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. So, yeah, absolutely. It does come out the blue when it, when, it, when you used to expect it as well. <laughs> You're right. So what were you going to school for? What were you getting your PhD in? I'm just curious. My PhD is it's a film and audience research based PhD, mm-hmm. which explores um, how Tarantino's the director, Quentin Tarantino's fans mm-hmm. respond to his films emotionally. And it assesses a theory about how people are supposed to respond to film. And it assesses if it's like, you know, valid or not valid. 
and it uses him as a case study. So it's quite, it is interesting PhD. I'm very proud of it and I passed it and I have a doctorate and I'm really glad it's out there in the, in the Welsh libraries and in the film studies uh, world. Um, so it took a lot of work to figure it out and it was good. And it was something that I, I didn't almost complete at one point, but then I did because I committed to it and I wanted to finish it and I'm proud of it. So I'm glad I did. Yeah, well, congrats to you. That's a lot more schooling than I ever completed. <laughs> uh, but that is interesting. I mean, his movies are definitely thought-provoking. They're interesting. They do, um, you know, provoke a lot of uh, emotion uh, on a wide yes. spectrum. Yes, they do. Like, you could, I mean, it was fascinating reading the reviews because I, I put out a questionnaire um, back in the day of when forums were, like, big. There was no... Yeah. This was done on Facebook or WhatsApp. There was no WhatsApp at that time. There was Facebook was just starting was around but it wasn't like it is now and either was um either was like linkedin or Pinterest or instagram they were just like a bit unknown so really it was down to good old-fashioned forums and people responded so passionately but it was men who had this huge like father figure like to him mm -hmm. compared to women who were like you know he's cool he's got cool girls and death proof at the time it was the big film he was that he was doing so it was quite interesting to read the quite the sharp compare and contrasting going on between the two of them and male and female fans. Yeah, that would, but that would be interesting. Now, I want to get it. So your company is the Film Festival Doctor? That's right. Right, okay, good. So do you have a specific genre that you help coach or is it kind of all over the, the spectrum when it was working with uh, people who are trying to get into festivals or promote their movie? How, how does that look for you? We work with everything. So we do short films, feature films, fiction and non-fiction. We also do a screenplays because there are festivals mm -hmm. that have screenplay competitions and then we do all those as well occasionally and also music videos and PSAs. So everything. Oh, cool. Actually, um, I don't think I've ever said this before, but my um, uncle was the uh, film fester, uh, the director of the Sundance Film Festival. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's obviously one of the biggest festivals in the world and a fantastic film festival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Uh, so we got a little bit of exposure to the Hollywood world growing up. Um, so I, I wanted to kind of ask you a lot about your books. I think that the premise is very fascinating. So how do you, how do you start to use, you know, uh, spiritual techniques to foster your business, right. To grow your business. So where did that kind of come from? I know we're obviously pivoting in a way, so we understand that you were getting your PhD in research and in film, then you got more into film, then you started helping people produce films, get exposure, right? So where does the spirituality come from and how has that really helped kind of build your brand and led to your book? So the spirituality came not at the same time because I wasn't particularly spiritually aligned or in tune when I, when I knew this was, my, when this was my sole purpose, talking to me to get in alignment with what you actually need to be doing in your life, the new PhD in academia. So, so it was kind of around two, yeah, maybe two years later. So when I moved to London, I was, you know, struggling a bit with funds. I was doing part-time temping jobs just to pay the bills when I was doing, the, doing my business, but then the business was growing. So I was putting a lot of work to it, like 24 mm -hmm. seven. And that then became a full-time thing, but before that, it was I was a bit negative and I wasn't I wasn't my strongest person in the world, very positive. But then I got introduced to the world of spirituality by one of my uh, colleagues, one of her friends, who was a angel card reader. Mm. I thought, okay, well maybe this will be helpful because I'm open to everything. 
And I thought this is quite interesting because he gave me some quite good points. It was a good stepping stone. It took me into the world, took me into the world of angel, um, like angels and guides and Dorian Virtue, her, her work at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yep, familiar. Yeah, but I didn't really get into it full on and actually learn all about it, took it more seriously. And it's actually a weird thing that happened. But when I broke up with my uh, ex-boyfriend at the time, back in 2013, that's what took me down the world of spirituality because it made me very depressed and I was really shaken up by it and it made me very numb around two years. And in that period where I was introduced to law of attraction, Feng Shui, cosmic ordering and um, manifestation, which I talk about in the book, but it was around that time when I got introduced to it. And there were people then that became part of my tribe who helped me get through that. And that also helped me heal and then also grew my business at the same time so i was intrigued to see that they both work so when you change your business changes because you are your business when you're doing your sole purpose and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing so there was things there that i saw that that affected my business and me so when i met marie diamond who is a feng shui um expert she's featured in the secret everyone knows what the secret is probably yeah the main book by rhoda bryan and she's the feng shui consultant in it and when I met her, I was wearing that. Obviously, now I've gotten quite bright clothes, but I was wearing black all the time. And then I said to her, I've got, I've got my business, and the business has been going up for just about two years, and here's the card. And she said, ooh, there's something wrong with the energy in your branding. I like the idea. You know, it's a woman looking very glamorous with her afro, and you've got your title of the film festival doctor. But it's all black. There's no colour. And also, most importantly, the woman in the picture is looking away from your uh, the, the words of your logo. She's looking at, she's turning her back to it. So in Feng Shui and of Attraction, you're turning your back to your clients, which is the wrong energy because you don't want to have talk to them and have business with them. And also there's no color, so it doesn't stand out. So it's looking very like a lower energy mm-hmm. and it's wrong vibration. So we need to really change it. So we worked together and then we took, we changed it when the woman turned around to face the logo, to face the, the wording of the logo. And we added on gold and added on red and it just went boom. It looks so much better. And it changed a lot when it was on socials on my website. People then made inquiries. And when I was with my business card, people saw it and said how striking it was and that they wanted to pick it up and see the website. And it was all in the branding. And also me, she said, you know, you're wearing a lot of dark colors. No one can see you. To stand out, you've got to wear the right colors that are what she calls her quantum colors. She has a course called Quantum Colors Technique. And she told me all about it. And we talked on me together. She said, you know, when you're meeting your clients, you need to kind of wear more saffron yellow to show compassion, more pink, more red with the right kind of hues. Um, I've also got neon nails today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, raw blue shows your power and, you know, a lot of wisdom here with emerald green for your health. So it's time all about these colours. And when I said her, I mean, she shone like a diamond. Like, she looked incredible. I was like, and she had gold chain. She had like, white, she had ivory, she had... Um, violet, she had silver everywhere. And I was like, God, I mean, she looks incredible. So I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And it changed my energy and my mindset, mental health. And I felt more confident, inspired, and doing that other stuff as well. I was getting a lot more stronger in my health and healing. Then mm-hmm. just everything grew. Interesting. Now, I, I, when you were struck me is when you were talking about the colors, I just immediately thought of chakras. Mm. Right. So, 
Because right? it's I know every chakra is assigned kind of a color, and that's yep. where your right where your energy exactly. is aligned and derived from. So that was the first thing uh, that popped into me, and I have a set of uh, Doreen Virtues cards as well. I like to mess around with those. Yes, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> all of them. When I was younger, back uh, when I was uh, in London, I had loads of them. And some you resonate with, some you don't. But um, but they all help. Your right chakras are great because the colors there are very relatable, and everyone has them in them in ourselves. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you see now when you're working with people, do you see a common theme of struggle or the same type of when you're starting to talk to people about their business and starting to talk to them about maybe energy or feng shui? Um, do you see a common theme of, of struggle within entrepreneurs or people within the film festival um, arena? And how do you start to coach them? Is it hard sometimes for people to be receptive to what you're, you're, you're telling them? Or do you kind of attract those people that would be open minded? It's 50-50. So a lot of the time I do attract people who are open-minded and they're spiritual and they take on things that I'm telling them when it comes to uh, themselves and they present themselves at festivals and their film and their branding for their film and them. And they open to it and they understand it. And also when I talk about, you know, don't attach yourself to like a specific outcome to get the one festival that you want. You know, we've got loads of other ones we're going to submit to and they're all going to be strong for you. So just have an open, like blank canvas and just let go from a certain outcome that you want and to instead see what comes in. Because sometimes it's always, and it always, it always is much better than what you expect. Sure. You want to a certain festival to get this, a certain result, but then maybe it's not the best platform to do that and someone else comes in that's even better for you. So it does happen all the time. Um, but sometimes I get people that aren't because then to start out their journey and they're not open to it because it's too much of a big thing to try and risk or, or even to try and learn because they don't, don't want to learn it so they want to just get the results there and then but those that are in that camp the latter where they're a little bit difficult when they follow me and they see what I'm doing they then slowly will sometimes come around and be like oh I see you know what you must actually what you preach must work because you've seen that you're getting the results you're getting the right clients you don't got any kind of fear there so it sounds like obviously it's working, so maybe we should have another conversation. So they come up with a little bit more open-minded and not too um, restricted in, the, in their thinking or rigid. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense. I was, um, you know, just interested in how people they can kind of get stuck and they kind of get in their own way. And I think you brought up a good point where you get so fixated on, I have to get maybe like in this one film festival. It's kind of like in sales, right? Where people get so fixated. I have to close this one deal that they don't realize how many doors of opportunity they closed by being so fixated on this one thing that maybe actually wouldn't serve them the way that they were hoping. Yes. Right. And so do you see that a lot sometimes when you get people to kind of open the horizon, maybe they don't even get the one festival they wanted, but they get three other ones that weren't on their radar, but it provides them with much better opportunity. Absolutely. That happens pretty much all the time. I guess. Um, I mean, some films, um, when they come my way, they want, they want Sundance, they want South by, they want all these big festivals. And I'm like, it's going to be a difficult sell because it's not their type of genre they tend to program, but if you're open to, you know, going into the realm of, say, more niche festivals that are still big within, say, the horror genre, which say it's like a horror film, it's going to be a harder sell for the general festivals and the quality of the film. But if we go into the niche of the genre film festivals, we get a lot more from that. And you'll find you get more connections, more distribution deal opportunities and more other kind of ways to collaborate with people because they're on the same page as you in the same field. Mm -hmm. So if we become like the niche, the niche, 
we actually get a lot more from that. I mean, like there are big festivals in the genre that would love this kind of movie. When you're trying to get a slot in the bigger festivals that have limited slots of this kind of genre and don't really tend to screen that type of film, it's going to be a harder sell anyway. You've got to compete against, you know, sales agents in their slate of films, distribution companies with their films, alumni, film schools. There's a lot of people to consider. So, you know, they're going to be really ruthless. And I think we should really just aim a lot more specific and streamlined to get the best we can from the film. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, finding the niche within the niche. How, how big is networking for you in your industry? Do you have any tips or advice on how to network well? It's huge. I mean, right now it's moved online at the moment. It has started to come back up to um, to networking in person, the distance, obviously, with social distancing, but it's huge. But even online, you can network quite well, as you know what you want. So there's always there's always a party there's always stuff going on right up until the day of the pandemic. I was there at CineQuest in San Jose and uh, they had to reschedule halfway through because of the pandemic and coronavirus. So it was quite a stressful time. We were like, what's going on? Um, but we're all like the same. We were doing like the parties right up until that day. <laughs> so it was a little bit like close for comfort. But then, you know, everyone was doing what they could. And we were being hygienic, you know, doing following the rules that were being in place at that time. But no, it's a very a collaborative and very social environment, the film industry. So at film festivals, there's always fun happening. There's always people talking, even at a distance right now. People are still involved in their art. They're still supportive of each other and they want to connect with more people to make more films. Yeah, that makes sense. Now we're talking about building an abundant life, right? I think it's a lot of people get into into film because they, let's be honest, they want to make a little bit of money, right? Yeah. And, and they maybe want a little bit of fame. Nothing wrong with either of those. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, yeah, you should make, want to make as much money as possible. I think that by not wanting to make money, you're being selfish because you can't give as much. Um, just, just my personal belief. But um, what do you think that when people are trying to create an abundant life, like where do they go wrong with with you know, uh, attracting what they want or trying to manifest what they want. You're right in terms of that it is important that, you know, you have to think about the bottom line and the financial aspects. Of course you do. But the way they go wrong is when they're just focusing on the material aspects and just about it's all about the money because we're here to serve. So with my company, the first thing I think of, my focus isn't on all the time money and the next client. It's all about the next film. So, I mean, there's a film right now that I've seen that I just love I really want to work with him. So it's focusing upon, I want that film more than I want the money that will come with it. So it's a case of focusing upon, you know, what you want in terms of the joy that you love doing what you do and working for that client to, to work with them long-term and a short-term contract, but the money's second. It's important, but if you just focus on that, you won't get the right energy back and you'll get, you'll think you'll have like a poverty mindset or it'll be like a lower end mindset to the point where it'll just feel unfulfilling and then stuff will get difficult. What do you do to keep your uh, your energy high or your vibration high, your frequency high? I'm very positive now. Back in the day, when, as I described, when I had the um, split with my ex-boyfriend, it, I was very quite low. But now I'm very different because I know I find it exciting to co-create with the universe. Mm. So I was, I'm actually a lot more grateful as well. I wasn't grateful then either, um, but now I'm a lot more grateful. I see how lucky and how blessed I am to be doing what I'm doing. So the universe tapped me into this, but also because I'm now a lot more positive. So with the pandemic happening, that was think, everyone's biggest struggle. But yes, it's annoying. And there are some things that are really annoying, like me getting to the US. But what I'm really grounded about is that 
what now the gift and the time to expand the business i've done more things for it i wrote my book in during lockdown because i was asked to write the book at the right time because i had the time to write it and i wasn't having to travel every five minutes um it also makes you stronger and you become a lot more grateful so the way that i see it is i don't i don't really have a bad day people go oh i had a bad day it depends what happened but if it's something that is you know really not whether we get like a bad day it's like if something bad happens to say you know you crash your car or your car gets written off then that's a bad day but then you were protected if you, you were alive and you didn't die mm. always grateful for everything no matter what it is and i see the strength that i can bring out of myself in everything nowadays it can be a struggle sometimes i can't see it. i need a help bit of help with that but then when i know that i can't see it i need to ask the universe to help me with it to where i place my cosmic borders yeah, I love that. I have a, a gratitude practice that I do every morning. I had a little, and I'm not a big proponent of checking your phone first thing in the morning, but the first, <laughs> the first thing that I do is I have an app where it asks me to list five things I'm grateful for. And so I Ooh. literally, I pop open my eyes, I grab my phone and I list the first five things that come to my mind that I'm grateful for because I think it sets the right type of tonality for my day. And I try to end it on the same thing, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm married, so I could have maybe gotten to a, an argument with my spouse or, you know, one of my kids broke something, which is a daily occurrence, uh, <laughs> you know, right? Our, our, the, uh, our numbers didn't go the right way for the month, but it's always trying to find that silver lining, which I think a lot of people wow. are, are remiss and are they miss in business, with not focusing on like, hey, I, well, I'm not making the money I want. Well, you got a job, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, a lot, a lot of people don't. Um, exactly. Yeah. So I, I love the gratitude piece. I think it's really uh, important for people to remember that on a daily basis. Now, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, finding your soul's purpose, and those are some really big words. And I and I think a lot of people, the majority of the people out there right now. Uh, or when they listen to this, you're going to be like, how the fuck do I find my soul's purpose? Like what, how do I get there? And how did you do it? What should I be paying attention for and looking for? So it is actually one of the hardest things to do in life is actually tap into your soul purpose. Um, Cause it's not the easiest things. It's not something because you, you don't really consciously look for it to be honest. So just something that does something that just happens. Like with me, I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't saying, right, I need to find my soul purpose today. It just happened because it was the right time to wake me up emotionally and spiritually and tune into myself so the way that i mean there's many kind of ways of what people perceive their sole purpose to be and how you tap into it and a lot of the books aren't uh, very clear on how to do that but when i first started looking into being into the world of soul purpose the one that i found very helpful was by a psychic medium called uh, amanda binnett meda and she's in my book actually as i reference her she was brilliant she says um at, do yourself ask the following questions is there like an activity that makes you lose all sense of time? You know, a craft that when you work on you, the hours pass, you forget all about lunch and dinner, that goes out the window, but you just get immersed in it and you feel that you're you. But also what do you wake up drawn to? So that was the one, that final question when I read that. So I thought, well, I know what I'm drawn to when I wake up is my business. And like you said, with the whole phone thing, um, it's more excitement uh, on the phone, like what's come in. There's a festival come in, a new acceptance, new client or new lead or something else on the radar. It's all something to get excited about because it's in my industry and my niche. Obviously, I work in the film industry and the area I work in is film distribution. And the niche of that is film festival management. So it's always a good thing because it's new things that many of us know about. And I'm the first into it. And like people who are interested in what I do. And then I've got my my Instagram with all my feed on, which I love seeing the engagement on. So that is my life. That is my life. 
it isn't academia because I wouldn't be the same kind of pool. And that was when at the conference, I said, I have no pool here, I'm just stagnant. And that's when it's like nothing to do anymore. It felt like work. If you're in a job, nine to five, let's say, that you hate and you have fear of going into every day, you wanna go on the commute, you hate getting there, you hate the work itself, you don't feel inspired, then it's time to leave. And then just try and meditate and tap into your sole purpose. One of my clients actually, when I started doing this, um, I helped him tap into it because I saw it happening. And I said, you know, if you're not happy, then why are you doing that job still? So what pays the bills? So, well, you don't work to just pay the bills, you know, um, you need to just, you know, you work um, not just to live, but you live to work. And then he said, I said to him, let's have, a, let's have just five minutes meditation. Let's quietly tune in here. And I said to him, what is it that you absolutely love to do? doesn't matter if it's paid or not, just what is it? And he went, I love making candles. And he does make great candles. I remember they smell divine. They're not like those mm-hmm. made candles, but they're like, aromatherapy like really beautiful candles and I thought this is really neat but I thought this is this is beautiful I said okay well I said okay let, let's think about it now so could you do this full time like making the candles and could you have could someone help you with the business side of things so in the end he now does the nine to five twice a week just to top up but the candle business has now become a full-time thing so what he's done he's got the recipes he's made them he has a secret sauce that's his sole purpose like tuning into how to make them one of a kind candles that smell incredible he has an instagram shop so people buy an instagram he's now got a contract with a hotel a few years later wow because i said look what is it that you love to do and it sounds simple and basic but then it takes a long time to actually block out that noise when you're doing nine to five and something you hate when you can't see that so it's about perception and about tuning in yeah for those that who are uh, maybe not strong in meditation, I know I get that a lot because it's not, I, I have a meditation that I do every morning and I, I've been doing it, you know, a decade and it's still, you get the monkey mind, you know, it's pretty prevalent, <laughs> it's pretty prevalent. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's ever supposed to be, become easy, but if someone who's not into meditation, would you suggest another type of way to maybe list it, a pros and cons? Or, cause I think that you hit, you know, right on the head, the thing that you get lost in, is where you should be spending your focus. But are there any other exercises that you, you would recommend? I always like, yeah, meditation is not easy. It does take, I think, years to master because it is a bit of a, you have to be like, to block everything and noise out. It's like almost impossible when I've got such busy lives. Even in lockdown, there's always something to do when we're busy. Right. One thing I would say is, um, another way to do it is to ask for help and ask someone else. So if you just can't meditate, you, you just all over the place, is to ask someone else and think, you know, like, what do you think I should do? So for example, there's a good story in the book, which is a good friend of mine. And she said, I owe, owe my whole career and my life's purpose to my mom. So she finished university and she, she was living it with her family, moping around the house. And her mom said to her, well, you like watching TV. So do you want to work in television? And then she thought, maybe. And then that just then got to the point where she actually got there and that gave her the drive to actually figure out how to get into TV and she did. And now she does it full time 24 seven, you know, it's, it's her life. And she said, if her mum didn't give her that, you know, if someone else didn't help her, she wouldn't be in that position she's in now. So I think it's important that you have the tribe around you and some close friends you could you know, confine in, mm-hmm. say, you know, what do you love about what you do? How do I get into that? And then she'll say, you know, like, well, like I did to my, to my client, you, you make candles. So, you know, that kind of thing. So maybe this is a good thing here to make a business. So that's a good thing to, to get help. 
because sometimes when you do everything on your own, you can not always see things. Like that goes to all of us. Um, but having someone else around you is a good kind of person that can be that drive and that focus to really look at what you're doing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you're right. Other people can help bring clarity. And they can, yes. it, it, sometimes they can spot your passions easier than you can. Yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah. My ex-husband actually did that uh, as well. He said, oh, everybody can afford under a consultancy. So I'm going to do just one service. But when I first started my company, we said, you know, think about one-to-ones because that people need that with that help. And I was like, that's a good point. So I looked at him really deeply and I was like, I know what to do. So let me just set them up. Yeah, it makes total sense. I just watched um, on a personal, I watched my wife who uh, got certified in yoga as a personal trainer, is a holistic nutritionist, wow. right? So you would think that, like, hey, She's in phenomenal shape after two kids. You think that she would be in the health field? She's an interior designer. Wow. Yeah, because yeah, that's just that's just that's just what speaks to her. And and she tried doing the other stuff, and she just didn't feel any type of congruency with it. And um, loves design, and and she's very talented. And so that's just you know it kind of it just you know when she figured it out and it was kind of like her mom tapping her because her mom actually does interior design was kind of tapping like you should really be doing this you're really talented and then when she started doing it she goes this makes me a lot happier I'm like, well, then there you go that's it that's her sole purpose that's amazing yeah exactly and our, and our house looks great it's always changing but it looks great um so i want to ask you a a bit of a not a difficult question but how do you help people clients in particular deal with failure Maybe they didn't get the festival they wanted and they're, and they're let down or they're upset, you know, so how do you help them deal through their struggles? I always say to them, there is no such thing as a failure, only feedback. So for example, when they didn't get the festival that they wanted, the feedback was, it's just, you know, it's interesting. It's a great movie, but it's just not right for our festival and our audience. I said, okay, it's not right for them. There's someone else that'll be better who's going to want this. So they're saying that your film is fine, nothing wrong with the film. Do not take rejection personally. It's just saying to them, it's not right for them, but someone else will want it, who's probably even better. Mm. And that's the way I see it to them is like, you know, do not worry, we're gonna get no's, we're not gonna get all yeses. If we did, then my God, my job, I wouldn't have a job for that matter. It was that easy. I mean, it's all about, it's all about scientifically creating strategy that is really streamlined and focused and knows what people want and having to take the best out of it and take the risks involved. You know, it takes a lot of uh, skill. So I always say, look, relax, never take anything personally. It's not about you. It's just the film's not right for them. They love the film. I know it's strong, you know it's strong. And someone else is gonna see the value in it. And then when that happens, we always get a great festival where it wins loads of awards. So it's incredible. We had one client who was worried that it wasn't gonna do well. And I said, oh, you know, other countries will get it. Other countries won't. And the countries that did get it, it won six awards at one festival. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. No, this is a film, as I said, it travels well to other countries than the UK. So the US are loving it. And it's got another festival that did like three awards. So, you know, so yeah, I can tell you this is where the home is. You've got to keep going on. This is the feedback we're getting here. Stick to the US. The US love it as opposed to the UK where it's, I know it's your home talent, but then this is a story that resonates elsewhere. And that's how we did it. And then he said, oh, great. Well, this is brilliant. You know, so you're the one flying the flag in UK in the US. No one else is at the moment. So that's what helped him then stay, stay calm. It's always an avenue. Just it's not always the one you think. But a direction. Right. That's great. I like that. Not fail your feedback. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so talk to us. I know you, you. I think you spoke about it a little bit at the beginning uh, with energetic branding, right? When you you got kind of consulted on how to kind of start to rebrand yourself. 
Now, how has that helped you to scale your business and how, how do you attract clients? Are, are, do you do cold calling or is it mostly referral based? Is it web driven? So how are you attracting your clients and scaling your business? Predominantly, it is word of mouth. So people come to me through recommendation, which is the best form of flattery and business development is referrals, or what we call them sometimes strategic partnerships. Um, the other is Instagram, um, because it's a very strong feed. It's a very always updated, always got stuff to, to see on there. It's always very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it tends to be that form of social media. Followed them probably by Facebook contacts on there and LinkedIn, but predominantly it seems to be people do the know, like, trust. They see visually what's going on. They see the stories and then they reach out when they build up their trust. And the third one is not so much cold calling, but when I'm at a film festival and I meet people and I see their movies, I want to talk to them. Then we talk naturally, you know, networking, in other words, mm-hmm. organic networking in that respect. I avoid cold calling because I try to avoid that because people have, with what I do, it's not on the straight on the phone, sell it to the client, that kind of product. You have to watch the film first. You've got to see what they want, where their needs are. And, you know, so it's not a straightforward kind of transaction. Like you go on a, or go online and buy the book, that's different. But with this kind of service, it's very bespoke and very specific. Um, and also now I have the, the branding has changed with the colors and the energy of it is that now they can trust the brand because I'm engaging with the brand. Because before it was like, you know, the, as I mentioned, the logo was the wrong way. Now I'm talking to them. So it's more open and more open dialogue, more trustworthy. And now I'm like letting my sole purpose shine because it wasn't there before. It was subconsciously like tucked away, but now it's shining like a diamond, literally. Um, also, what I tend to do as well with business is I'm very active on socials. I think in the film industry, we all are, to be honest. A lot of people, a lot of filmmakers don't shy away when it's a visual medium, Instagram. And film is a visual, obviously, obviously film's visual. Yeah. So by having, being out there more, either doing selfies at the moment with on Instagram of like products we've got or new films, what I'm doing, or, um, uh, or in talking about the festivals or being at festivals when I was there, Having the presence shows that you're helping your clients. They'll always have pictures with my clients showing that, you know, they've come this far at this festival, they win this award, whatever. It's really important to be there and to keep a presence and make sure that every client's treated the same. No one's, although there's different packages and there's different ways to work with me and my team, everybody is a five-star top client because they're one of our clients. I love that. And it, it shows you care uh, over 800 awards. Yes. It's working. <laughs> It's, it's working. working. Yeah. It's working. yeah. It's good. But if you, so say you're a business owner and you're listening to this and you own, a, let's say, an insurance agency, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, that's the guys I work with. It's not sexy. It's not cool. Um, it's very boring. One of those things. <laughs> right. Um, but what, would you say there's like a, a, a one, two, three process with looking at, like, you know, I, I like the idea of energetic branding. What are some things I could look at to make sure that my branding, um, obviously go buy your book, but is there anything they could look at to, to kind of recognize that maybe they're not aligned energetically with their branding and might be repelling people more than it's a- attracting them? Yes, that's a crucial thing is about bottom line is color because I thought I had this striking logo and it was uh, to a degree, but it was all black. There was not one drop of color. And I recommend them actually looking into the world of color because obviously, as you said, there's chakras, which is obviously very important. I've got like purple is like, you know, the, uh, the, the sacral chakra and green is the throat chakra. Mm-hmm. They're important too. 
But with Marie's quantum colors, um, she actually opened up my eyes to how powerful colors actually are when you know and access them and tap into them, and what colors mean. So it's her, obviously, her kind of mythology, but she draws upon other ways to access through law of attraction. And she talks about, you know, for example, with insurance, I imagine I can picture it. Maybe it's maybe not the most brightest logo. <laughs> maybe it's got a lot of gray yeah. on there, a lot of white. It maybe needs something more like, you know, to bring in that kind of like client. Obviously, insurance is in, everyone needs insurance for a film, for their house, for whatever. For example, maybe if you, if they put more type of like gold on there for abundance, you know, that we can actually make sure that you're secure and make sure that you don't lose any money and everything stays abundant in your home. And also having on there, like um like opel which is like transformation you know so when you have like insurance policies going to transform your way that you have your home or your or your car and you feel secure and you transform yourself these things too things change but also ruby red because remember marie told me about that which is balance and i didn't have much balance mm -hmm. with her mm -hmm. insurance you've got to find the right kind of balance in terms of how much you need and the covers and excess and all that kind of stuff yep. Having that on there might certainly help because that will then subconsciously people were drawn to that than being lost in like the mold of other companies that were all gray and black and white kind of logos with no starring because that will really make someone see that, that you care and that it's a committed to your clients. You're going to change the way they think and change their formal security. They're going to be harmonious. They're going to be abundant. You've got the power supporting like some blue. So that's really crucial um, and obviously that needs to also transfer not just the business cards, but like the shop branding, the letterheads, the emails, the email signature, the whole lot. So that's really, really crucial because um, it just raises the vibration when you have you stand out from that kind of crowd of other people. Um, that would be my key thing would be color. Um, and also the staff members as well, because I imagine I'm maybe just being a bit stereotypical, but maybe everyone doesn't wear bright colors in the office, <laughs> even working from home. So again, you've got to close a business deal. One thing I mentioned in the book is that, you know, when you have the right branding, you also got to know how to close a sales deal with the right sales pitch and the right kind of infrastructure, what I mentioned in the book. But mm. it's important that you do have that right mindset. And that is wearing, not wear a shirt and tie, but, you know, maybe like a tie that has red showing, you know, like compassion, maybe even having, you know, a white tie for purity and um, maybe even emerald green to show that you've been in good health and you can then look after the client. Things like this make a little bit, of, a lot makes a big difference. Uh, you know, a little makes a big difference. Yeah, I like that, um, especially the dress. I don't think that people pay attention to how they dress when it comes to colors and standing out and how people perceive them. Now, I try to talk to my, a lot of my guys when I got here. They're a little bit younger, and I noticed when we first started going to business meetings, not a knock to them, but you know, they're in like uh, like a wrinkled, you know, Ralph Lauren shirt that's kind of got weird colors and khaki pants. And yep. you're just like, ah, man, you kind of look like you're going to a, a college um, fraternity party. You know what I mean? Like, so, um, so I would knock them pretty hard. But for me, I like to wear typically like blue, white, and then have a, a colored tie that pops a bit. Yeah. And then I usually match it with a pocket square and like a lapel pin. And because it just, it's the overall presentation. I like to draw in a little bit of color. Um, Absolutely. I, you know, right when I walk in, I want them to have a, a, a feeling about my presence in a positive yes. way um, because yes. it's right we, right. we we automatically judge someone good or bad whether we it like is. it or not it is and color affects that because remember when i was i used to work in the corporate world um for bankers as a personal assistant before i got into going back to studying 
And I remember feeling low. I only clocked on the feelings I felt until after I learned about this area of colors and Marie's technique and changing my branding. I remember just sitting down waiting for my superior to come in. I remember just seeing like this mismatch of like gray and pinstripe and black. Yeah. And I was just like, God, I really hate this. I didn't know at the time, I thought, you know, it's a job, but I love doing the work as a PA. But I was just like, God, why do I have to wear this outfit? Like it was, you know, like it was a gray skirt and a white shirt and a white shirt. But also like the pinstripe kind of like this gray kind of jacket with shoulder pads. And I was just like, God, this is what everyone talks, what do they talk about when they're here? It's not going to be any creative fun because wearing these colors just drains life out of you. Mm-hmm. But there was a simple, we had this like casual Friday where people were like, you know, dressed as they would do like, you know, going to a fraternity party. And things changed then. I remember it when I just felt the feelings later on. I thought, wow, I did like it when everyone wore bright clothes. Because it does make a difference. I remember that day I felt quite inspired. Mm-hmm. And before. So it makes, a, it's a subtle change, but it's a big difference. Yeah. I would do stuff to mess with people. Cause I, I, I don't know why I tend to go to black, but I'll do things like you can see my watch band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just, it's just something that kind of, it'll, it'll kind of pop to people and they're like, Oh, that's a cool watch. You know, and exactly. It's, it's also a conversation exactly. piece. Um, exactly. A couple more questions for you, Rebecca. I really appreciate your time. Do, now being an entrepreneur, someone who also coaches other people on how to be successful themselves. Do you have any success habits that have you feel like have really contributed to your success or that you'd recommend to people? Yeah. Cosmic ordering. I mean, anything in the world of a cosmic ordering is amazing. So I didn't know what this was until it was going through the ex-boyfriend situation. But um, I was introduced to this by, um, actually, she's, she is the publisher of the book, but she has her own book publishing company. But she also has her own book about cosmic ordering. And I found it on Google because I heard about cosmic ordering through the spiritual um, teacher I was teach, talking, talk, um, speaking with. And she told me in the book, when I met her, the cosmic ordering is essentially placing order with the universe. Like, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you go like, what I would really want to eat is pizza, a chips and lemonade kind of thing. So then she says it kind of like, then obviously it arrives because you've just placed the order. So it was the same thing. So the way that she taught me was this, was to say it in, what I really want is to get a parking space upon my arrival to um, Larchmont in Los Angeles. At the end, she says, you must say, the good of all concerned because that means then when you do that it ensures that no one should ever lose that in order for you to gain mm. so yes give it a go so just start with car parking then think bigger and um, it's not easy thing to do but then when you get in the flow of it you can then manifest what you want and also ask as well because of the universe so i thought okay i'll do that and then lo behold get a, get a parking space someone pulling out in a very busy road someone pulls back easy, easy to go in but you do also do that in my business too so when i do my kind of morning mantra do the meditation obviously then when I'm doing like doing my goals for the day I kind of turn them into cosmic orders so they're saying like my goal will be you know today I want to get a new business lead that's my goal as soon as I say that out loud I kind of place it in order so I say what I really want is to get a minimum of one new business lead today who is a brilliant lead and has a great film that I could potentially work on for the good of all concerned and then it comes in so, and also for your personal things too, like for it in like personal life as well. Um, so I really recommend that because it's a technique that when you get the hang of it, you f- find it fun, but it becomes second nature. And then when you do it, you'll become more grateful. So every time I see it come in, you get more perceptive. So when that comes in, I go, oh, here's the cosmic order. Thank you so much. And when you keep doing it and keep saying that, you become just 
like we're grateful on, on autopilot. I'm going to think to do it just because naturally. I love that. It, it, I mean, I feel like you're, you're building great uh, karmic energy, yeah. uh, being concerned by others, but then you're also having a sense of gratitude. And yeah. I think I heard, I don't know if you're familiar with Ken Honda. He's, um, he's, he's Japanese and he, yeah. he has a book, um, Happy Money. And nice. he, he was the first person I really heard talking about, like when you get your paycheck, say thank you. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I was just like, Oh my God. Like, yeah. Yes. You should get that. You're like, Oh, well, there you go. it's just a job. Well, there it is. Be like, Oh, thank you so much. I now have that funds and I can, you know, use it wisely, whatever you want to do with it. So it's there. So it's that. Really yeah. Good. Yeah. Too many of us, we close deals where we get clients that we've asked for and then we don't reciprocate our thank you to the universe for bringing it yeah. to us. Which I think oh, is spot on. Spot yeah. on. That's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. Now, besides your own book, Born to Do It, are there any other books that you would recommend for anybody to read? Yes. So um, beside Ellen's, uh, Ellen Watts' book, Cosmic Ordering Made Easier, How to Get More of What You Want More Often, I would also recommend um, to read, if you're going to start up your business and you want to look into more about that and actually figure out how to, you know, home in and find your niche and actually get a business that can work for you. I would recommend uh, one of my business coaches who I mentioned in the book, Ed J.C. Smith's book, Money Mindfulness, because it really is interesting and it shows you how to look at money differently and not in the way that we're kind of brought up to think about it. Mm -hmm. And he also teaches you how to like uh, create your business and figure out what your niche is, which we talk about in the book. But that book he wrote is really a great pocket guide um, because it's, quite a spiritual because he's very grateful the whole way through. It's a backbone, is gratitude, but also it's very practical for the type of business. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Uh, I'm an avid reader. So I'll put both of those on my list because I have not read them. Um, yeah. And now, so a couple more questions. Where can people find your book? So you can buy it um, in paperback and Kindle. So paperback's available now and Kindle comes out December the 1st from both amazon.com and amazon.co.uk. You can also buy it direct from me on my website, which is rebeccalouisasmith.com. And soon it will be available to order and be in shops, which is Barnes & Noble, Waterstones, and um, W.H. Smith. Awesome. And where can people connect with you personally? So um, my website, you can connect with me on there via um, the contact us, or the best place would be Instagram which is at Rebecca Film DR. So Rebecca is R-E-B-E-K-A-H-F-I-L-M-D-R. And I will put all this in the show notes for everybody. So you can go, um, there'll be a link in there to her book to purchase into her website, into the Instagram. So you guys can find that in the show notes. Rebecca, uh, congratulations on all of your success. Thank um, you. I'm to see where you go. So there's a lot more good that's going to come from you. And I really appreciate your time today. And thank you. It's been a wonderful interview. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks.